welcome to the latest edition of the Digital CXO Leadership Insights Series. I'm your host, Mike Bazaar. Today, we're with Sudesh Nero, CEO for ThoughtSpot, and we're talking about the impact ChatGPT and other generative AI technologies are going to have on analytics and basically how we might all get a little smarter as a result. Sudesh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. We've had analytics for a while, and we've been playing around with various machine learning and deep learning algorithms to help enhance that whole experience and make it easier for as many folks as we can. But how will these new generative AI platforms augment that, and what impact is that going to have ultimately? Look, I think um, it all depends on what people do with it, because um, if you talk to people about you know chat GPT or GPT-3 specifically, there are two camps, you know, one camp that will say, well, it's a fad, it's just a glorified autocomplete, it's a confident liar, it just keeps building statement based on what next. And th there's another camp that will say, well, it's going to disrupt everything, it's going to kill all companies and everything will be replaced with that. I believe that both camps have some points right and some points wrong, right? My view is that it is an extremely impactful moment in the history of computing, just like you know, how internet to browsers to um, iPhone, uh, even EC2. I would say EC2 from Amazon probably is the best example. Uh, it's, 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 it's for the first time we are going to have AI capabilities on tap. It's available through APIs. What do you do with it? It's up to you. In the sense that like electricity is a utility, you know, sometimes I can use it to charge my phone or other times it's used for light. What we build will make all the difference in our point of view, is that there is tremendous amount of value we can derive for analytics when AI is used to close the last mile. So that's what ThoughtSpot is focused on, and there are opportunities are you know, abound, a lot of them. It seems to me we spend a lot of time looking for the right data just to analyze it. So do you think maybe generative AI is going to help us at least identify what data sets may be most relevant. And then we're going to have to, of course, check the veracity of them because, as you noted, the platform might be a confident liar. But at the end of the day, um, you know, can we just accelerate and reduce the toil that today we encounter every time we try to build something interesting from an analytics perspective? Yeah, that is, you are, you're dived deep into the exact point where complexities lie. So, for example, Analytics is about crunching numbers and coming up with a precise answer, right? If I'm asking how many of my viewers returned uh, from last episode or this episode, let's say I want to, you are trying to figure out that. Let's, you're a content creator. You're trying to figure out which episode performed well and which one did not. And now you want to know why, because you want to always constantly learn and improve. And if you're asking a platform, how many people churned between my last episode and this episode, I cannot give you 10 answers as a platform. I should be able to give you one precise answer and it has to be believable, right? That is something to keep in mind that analytics, particularly with respect to business data, precision, accuracy, trust, these things are paramount. Whereas if you think about search in general, uh, unstructured data, opinions, Google in general, it's not that you have to have a precise answer. You can throw a billion answers, as long as you're, the answer that you're looking for is there in the first or second, you're good. That's a huge chasm. So ThoughtSpot, for example, we started early on with the idea that we have to make sure that business users, you know, someone like you who's a content creator, you don't have to go talk to someone else 
to get the data on your uh, episode's performance. Because the people who are building their dashboards for you, they have no clue what is it that you do and how is it that you are getting people to come back? What sort of message your people are trying to hear and listen from you? They don't know any of that. You are the domain expert. The problem in this case, the creator, you, may or may not be a data expert. You may not speak SQL. What changed in the last uh, three, four years? You can now get a boatload more data than before, which means there is a lot more data that is streaming in from your mobile. It's not like radio, right? We are sending this through uh, Spotify, for example. You can see how many people watch, how many people skipped, how many people watch 1.5x speed versus 2x speed. All that data is now available. If you can take that data, derive those insights, package it in consumable fashion, and give it to you so that you can action on it, there will be magic that will happen. However, that is a big gap because the people who speak data and the people who do speak business, there is this air gap. And that has to be solved. And there, GPT-3 and in general, generative AI, and uh, you know, when built properly with tools like ThoughtSpot can play a huge part. Do you think that this is just the beginning of this whole process because there are other large language models and they might be more attuned to specific use cases and specific scenarios. It's OpenAI seems to have built a platform that just grabbed all the data from a certain date before then and kind of created a model around that. But um, will it become more useful as we maybe have data sets that we're building the models from that are more precise? So there are two angles here that both are important to talk about. The first one, uh, one of our co-founders, Amit, he was at Microsoft Bing for a while and then went to Google and did search. So he searches in his DNA and then found a thought spot. And uh, we have a lot of former Google people. One thing you have to understand is that Google has been the pioneer in large language models for a long time. They have at least five known large language models. Four of them are publicly available almost all of them could be equal or better in terms of capabilities compared to what OpenAI did deliver. The difference is uh, Google cannot afford to take a huge hit in reputation if um, you know, the, the model calls uh, a journalist Hitler, for example, right? You can't have that kind of risk. So they have a much higher bar to cross with respect to what is available, where, where they can put their brand behind. Now, are they being too conservative? Maybe. And that's part of the reason why the CEO of Alphabet essentially created what he called a red alert within the organization to amp up the effort. The second thing, which is an even more important thing, that while large language model trained on general internet and general data is useful, uh, businesses, enterprise businesses would want specific domain training. If a financial industry probably want to have models that are trained within it, life sciences, clinical research, pharmaceutical trials, things like that. There are lots of nuanced conversations and nuanced uh, you know, language models that need to be built. ThoughtSpot, we are building an, a platform for uh, data analysts to use ThoughtSpot user experience to train the model for data definition, data synonym building, data worksheet building, which means that they can move away from building these stupid, stale Tableau dashboards that no one really reads, no one gets credit for. It's just sitting there and tens of thousands of them. Instead of simply improving the chart type, they can stop doing that and focusing on building language models and training the AI 
so that their business can derive immediate value. So for me, those are the sort of things that I'm excited about. And you're absolutely right. This is just the beginning. Do you think we'll see a significant bump in overall productivity? Because we've been talking about productivity in IT for two or three decades, and that number doesn't seem to improve all that much. So as we kind of look at these new generative AI platforms, might we actually see an, an actual increase in the productivity for data analysts and things that, uh, you know, that they no longer have to do and they can do something more interesting? I, I don't necessarily agree that the productivity hasn't increased. What I will tell you is that the things that are standing in the way of increased productivity are often people and organizational politics. For example, uh, I'm just giving you one example, GitHub and Copilot. You know, Copilot has become a really good way of uh, help code a developer. You know, a developer is trying to write a code and there's almost all the time, 70, 80% of the code they write can be routine. Things that they've written a hundred different times, subroutines that they've actually cut and paste. So what they do is they look for code that they wrote before, Control C, Control V. That's the life of a developer almost all the time. It's not that glorious. There are, you know, logic building. There is pseudo code writing. There are things that they do, but oftentimes it's boring. But GitHub with the AI driven Copilot can take all of that and build a few beautifully written space or tab, whatever that you like, a code snippet for you, and then you can jump into it and modify. That is an exponentially better way of uh, uh, being productive. Another example that is we see constantly within ThoughtSpot's domain. So ThoughtSpot, you know, we do two things. One is think of it like, um, uh, let's say you're hungry and you're in a new city, okay? And um, you don't know the restaurant seat. 10 years ago, you would go down to the lobby, talk to the concierge and find, oh, where should I eat? And what does the concierge do? They actually have a book of map and they'll tear one off, draw a few circles on some Italian restaurants and then say, hey, here is where you should eat. We don't do that anymore, right? We actually open Yelp and say, show me all restaurants. I haven't had sushi for a while. Let me see sushi restaurants. I want to go. And then you make a decision by interacting with the data. I want to walk. I want to look at the price. I want to look at the menu. It's a bespoke experience that you create for yourself, right? We don't do that conscious thing anymore in our personal life. But when it comes to business life, people still go down to the data teams and ask for that dashboard. What ThoughtSpot does, we give that Yelp experience. You're trying to solve a business problem. You interact with the data through natural language, get the answers, make decisions, and go about your life. In this context, it is important to remember that data people have a job, which is to curate the data and then step back so that business users can freely interact within it. That's where AI can make significant impact. But you know what is standing in the way is sometimes you know, in particular in some older school companies and even you know, old school leaders, they think that complexity is job security. You know, if I make things too simple, I will lose uh, budget, I lose people. So when people and organizations are standing in the way of progress, you will absolutely not see productivity improvement, but it is not the fault of AI. It's not the fault of technology not uh, being there. Do you think that C-level execs will trust the data more if it's coming from uh, some sort of AI-infused system. Because one of the issues we've had over the years is um, people are dubious about how the data was collected or entered in the first place because they know how sloppy things can be. Uh, and then they're 
reluctant to kind of take the advice or the recommendations being surfaced. So um, do you think we can close that confidence gap in the data that currently exists? No, and no exec should trust the data blindly that is coming out of any AI system anytime soon. Because if you do that, you are going to be in a world of trouble. I can tell you how we are doing. So we have built a platform that that uses, so for example, in ThoughtSpot case, so it's important to tell you the history of ThoughtSpot a little bit to make sure that I'll explain how. So we wanted people to have precise answers by using natural language. The problem is natural language is difficult. There's a lot of different variants, right? So for example, I want to know what the temperature is outside. I could ask how hot is outside, how cold is outside, what's the weather outside, what's the temperature outside. The answer to all of these questions could be the same exact number, right? It has to be one number. So we tried to build our own language model four years ago, and we decided that it is if you try to appease all the different combinations, the answers will not be precise. So we decided believability, trust is more than more important than anything else. So we compromised on, we did not you know, follow through on the large language model and give everyone free language. And then we decided to focus on uh, accuracy. And then what we did is we went from SQL to what we call relational search. So think of like Amazon search. When you go to Amazon, you don't do free natural language. You search red shoes, white tie, like whatever. But when you go to Google, you obviously write the full sentence, which was, who is the best rock singer of all time, whatever, right? When you do that, but the Google, like I said, can give you a billion answers. People always wanted the Google type free uh, natural language for a precise answer. So the way we have a, a approached this is an extremely interesting one. Now that we have this figured out how to deliver keyword-based search that creates exact SQL and executes them on um, Snowflake and Databricks and gives you the precise answer. We nailed that. When GPT-3 came out, we immediately used that to close that last mile. But when you type a question to uh, in ThoughtSpot, we will take that question, but underneath it, we will transparently show you first the keywords we used. So if you say, what's the temperature outside? Underneath it, we'll show you here are the keywords we used. If you're interested, you can click on those keywords. Then it will show you the SQL queries that we used. And then when you click on that, it'll show you the schema, visually, which columns, which tables we pulled it from. So what we are doing is that when you, uh, so this is a fundamental principle that people sometimes forget. When you abstract, things get simpler. However, they will also become more opaque. So if you want to make believability possible, you have to show, basically you have to shine a light to everything. So every time you ask a question, you can inspect. So going back to Ronald Reagan, trust but verify. That's the model that we are taking. You should not be blindly trusting the answers coming from any models anytime soon. Do you think we'll see a lot more regulation that requires that level of transparency because there are people asking questions about black boxes and models and analytics and how were decisions actually arrived at? Look, I, I wish I could, uh, I'm not an expert in that. Uh, I have an opinion, which is probably as good as yours as. So what I do think is that this tectonic shift that uh, you know OpenAI just unleashed on the system, people are absorbing it. And there will be significant amount of tools and hype and VC dollars flying into it, which means that there will be bad actors, there will be scams, there will be a lot of... Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, mishapen, mishaps happening here, which will prompt uh, government to act. 
Will the government have the right kind of regulations and rules? I don't know. What I do think is that it is it is important not to panic, not to go with back and forth on this, because just like everything else that the system, our culture has absorbed, we are going to absorb and overarchingly positive things will come out of it. I am very optimistic. You know, I, last week I was in Japan. You know, here's a country that is aging so fast that they don't have children. Uh, you know, people are not having kids. How are you going to take care of this aging population? I mean, imagine self-driving cars and uh, drone-based delivery. These things are really critical when your population is really aging and, uh, you know, they don't want to drive or they can't drive to even go to the 7-Eleven nearby to buy a cup of uh, coffee or sugar. So uh, AI, improvements in AI, whether it is helping you code or help uh, help fly and deliver uh, um, uh, a pound of sugar from your neighborhood store, these things have real-world ramifications. So my hope is that regulations won't be too draconian, but at the same time, it will create enough gap for experimentation while holding back the bad actors. Am I optimistic that will happen really fast? Actually, no. But uh, I do think that there will be course correction both ways, and uh, we will find the right equilibrium. So what's your best advice to folks? We've seen banks kind of ban GPT, and we've seen other organizations aggressively embrace it. What is there a middle, or what, what should people be doing right now? That is absolutely one of the dumbest thing to do. I mean, the speed with the things are changing. You could be the world's largest bank, but you have absolutely no hope unless you are willing to embrace change that is coming your way. But this is also moving fast, like ThoughtSpot. We are not the you know tableaus of the world are the industry standard, where, like I said, they keep printing maps and saying, here is your data dashboard, right? Data is changing. Are you going to, so let's say you get one dashboard a day from Tableau. If data is changing constantly, are you going to make like 150 dashboards? That's not working, right? So that model won't work. So banks or insurance companies, they have to change. ThoughtSpot, our experience is that largest of large banks are embracing these changes responsibly and really fast. Like we have customers like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Capital One, PNC Bank, you know, these are all customers who have deployed ThoughtSpot at massive scale. Nike's and, you know, Canadian Tire, CVS, Verizon. Why are they doing? These are not new companies. These are old school companies. These companies have lasted decades after decade. The re reason why they lost is because they are really good at figuring out change and embracing them. It may not feel like it because at their size, it might feel like it is slow. But at the top of these companies, uh, they have some tremendously talented and forward-looking people who are looking at these products and saying, strength and saying, you know what? We can't be an old school company. The rate of change, the, the cycle of creative destruction is getting so short. If you wait for things to settle, the change would have taken something else from us. So uh, at the top of it, the companies are really built to change and adapt and progress. The culture inside the company, sometimes usually in the middle management, there are people who lost touch with customers and the mission of the company. And they are just becoming a viscous uh, you know, thing that's holding back progress. My advice is get with the program or let them go. There is no place for people who are resisting change and progress when the whole world is moving forward and consumers, users are looking for better services from your business. All right, folks, you heard it here. The future is here, whether you like it or not. So you might as well jump in with both feet. Hey, Sudesh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate it.
And thank you all for watching the latest edition of the Digital CXO Leadership Insights Series. I'm your host, Mike Bizard. You can find this and other episodes on the digitalcxo.com website. Once again, thanks for spending time with us.